make your thing better than everyone else, especially when you're starting a business. The marketing is probably the thing you shouldn't even focus on because if you make every customer or client like really happy, then you will grow. I do actually want to start with what is fame, Tom? And what is the value mm. fame brings to your customers? Yeah, so I don't know why, but I just find it quite interesting to understand the, the concept of fame or like how people get famous. And I think it was like in 2016, I did a training course called Creating Fame, I think. I can't remember who it was by, but that person explained how people get famous. It's basically a two-step formula, very okay. simple. The best example to illustrate this is Taylor Swift. Okay. So step one, create lots of really good content in a specific niche. So we take Taylor, she first did this in country music, and then she moved to pop music. So that's step one. Step two is then just be seen around other famous people within that niche. And so when Taylor was like getting big in country music, she like went on other big country music like records. And then she also brought country music stars onto her records. And she did the same in pop music with like Ed Sheeran, for example. And so that's basically all you need to do is do those two things. And so what fame is, is like based around the whole concept, the concept is our brand. And that's what we do for B2B brands, as you mentioned, in a very specific niche. So we do it in the form of audio content, e.g. a podcast. And so we just work with brands to create very specific, good content. And then we like through that show, get them to be seen with other famous people in that niche. So they in turn become famous. I love that. I'm now rethinking, right? Because we Octopus, we are, you know, B2B centric. I'm thinking, hmm, <laughs> Tom, what do we got to do to be famous? So listen, it's an interesting concept. We're going to dive more into it in a moment. But before we do, I do want to learn a little bit about you because you're quite an interesting human yourself, oh, right? You. <laughs> so maybe, I mean, the concept of fame, can you give us a brief look perhaps into your professional journey? And maybe, I mean, it's a bit unconventional from what I've seen into the marketing sphere, but maybe how you found yourself in B2B marketing. Yeah, so I study chemistry, and then in my final year, I was like in a lab on my own trying to make a protein. I didn't really like that because I'm not very detail orientated. And so then I was like, okay, I need to go and make some money then. So I went and worked in management consulting. I applied to like 30 different companies. And then the only one accepted me, I went to work for them, Aston Young. And then I was like, well, this is boring. <laughs> no, I no, take that back. I liked some of it, but mainly it was boring. I didn't like it. And so then I went to a different one that paid more. And then slightly better work, but it was still boring. So then at the start of 2014, I was like, I need to do something with my life that I actually enjoy. And so I was like, well, maybe entrepreneurship. Wee. And so I was like, I'm going to start ideally a business and replace my salary throughout the year of 2014. And so because I couldn't code and I was interested in the internet, the only other way you can like make money is through marketing, right? So since like 2013, 14, I've just been self-teaching myself marketing. Eventually managed to leave that consulting company to start my own business, which was like an outsourcing, small outsourcing company. And then... Really since 2015, then I've just been starting and growing small businesses. More focused on B2B, though, I, I couldn't really explain why that was the choice over B2C. Yeah, maybe I think it's probably potentially easier to like bootstrap a B2B company, specifically like services, which is maybe where we'll get onto fame. There you go. I mean, listen, I think B2B has is such a bad rep, right, for being uh, B2B boring. But when you're actually mm -hmm. working in it, you know that's so far from the truth, right? I mean, there's not, yeah. there's not a single day that's the same and, you know, get real with me, right? Get radically transparent. What's keeping you up at night professionally in B2B? Yeah. So I think we have this business fame, right? And it's, uh, it's completely bootstrapped. 
So it's essentially self-funded. And so I would probably say that we have this chart which shows how many new proposal requests we get, how many of them are qualified, how many of them jump on sales calls, and then how many of them become customers. And so you see it has been like slowly going up, I guess, over the past two years, but then it started going up a lot faster, like a few months ago. And so the thing that is probably like keeping me up at night the most is like whether that chart is going to keep going up or it's going <laughs> to it's going to stay the same or it's going to go down, which would be terrible. Right. And so it's probably that's probably the, the fear. And I think that the reason why that's so scary is because I don't really know why it's going up. I'm not like I know you can't attribute everything in B2B. But I'm like doing some things and then the proposal requests are coming out of the other side. But I don't really know why, why or where they're coming from, Jen. This is a problem. Spoken like a true B2B marketing leader, right? Nothing will keep a marketer up at night longer than inbound demo requests and then not quite understanding exactly the reason of why your chart is increasing. Just thinking through it, and I know the life of a B2B marketer when it comes to especially generating inbound demo requests, right? It's almost like social media where right on social, every day is different. And when you see a post getting severe engagement and you get all excited about it and the next day, you know, you try to craft a post similar and it gets absolutely zero engagement, right? Mm. What are some of the reasons that you think in terms of inbound demo requests, why the chart may be unexplainable, right? I know we said you can't attribute anything, but is there something that you're doing or maybe not doing that you think could be explaining kind of that not, I don't increase. want to say not consistent increase or, or the consistent increase, but kind of that, that flow. Yes. I think I literally only a month ago got my developer to sort out Google analytics. So I can see the medium source campaign of the button <laughs> click when they submit that form. So that's good. That's helping me for sure. Now, the other thing I know would definitely help me is like on that form, asking people where they found us, it's just, I don't like, if people want to go and check it out on the site, it's like, it's not really going to fit into the UI that well if I do that. And so I basically should do that, but it means I'm going to have to go to the developer and be like, we need to redesign this form. So that is, maybe this is going to like give me the, the impetus to actually do that because it's been on my to-do list for ages. So I think those two things are going to help. Fantastic. So listen, in your opinion, what is the best way, do you think then, besides the two pieces, right? Maybe working closely with your developing team to achieve inbound marketing success. Because it's, I mean, it's all, there's a whole, I mean, Google inbound marketing and you've got articles upon articles, but really from someone who's living and breathing it, what do you feel is kind of that one piece of advice to achieve it? Yeah. And this is probably not good for a marketing podcast. So, because the answer, and I, <laughs> is being our focus from the start is actually make your thing better than everyone else. Because if you do that, then the word is going to spread. And so it's really hard for me to say that, right? Because I've spent eight years, I think, in online marketing. And only in the past two years, I've started to realize that, especially when you're starting a business, the marketing is probably the thing you shouldn't even focus on. Because if you make every customer or client like really happy, then you will grow. So <laughs> I think that's the first thing to help drive inbound. We can go on to other things if you want, but I think that's the foundation. Should we move on? Let's move on. Let's move on because... There is something that's been bothering me that I actually want to speak to you about. And I've been waiting yes. for this moment to do it publicly. But I want to talk for a moment about podcasts, because I think many of our customers, many of my peers, many of my colleagues, that seems to be a very hot topic right now. And I know that you're a pro. You host no. a podcast. You host a podcast. And I'm I'm curious if maybe we can dive in a little bit deeper because I often get you I often get asked this question right Jen how did you start the radically transparent podcast what tools do I need what do I need to do 
to make a successful podcast. So, you know, I'm just going to throw that question your way, Tom. Mm. What can B2B businesses do to start a podcast profitable or even just get the ball rolling? Because it's, it's just become a medium that is so relevant and so I see it as successful. Yeah. So I think there's three things that most B2B people, when they start a show, don't get right. And the first one that you guys, from my experience of your show, get do really right, in my opinion, which is you have a strong position and reason for existing, which in the show is the theme of transparency. Yeah. And so I think that's the first thing if you're considering starting a show. Let's say the, the example I give is always like if you have an email marketing software company, you could start a podcast at like three levels of niche, if you could, if that makes sense. So you could start a marketing podcast, you could start an email marketing podcast, or you could start an open rate podcast, right? And so I'm always like, typically it's easier to start more niche and then get more niche later if you grow. And so you start the open rate podcast and become the number one email marketing open rate podcast in the world pretty fast, probably. And then you're going to meet the 20 different open rate experts in the world. And then over time, maybe you can become email marketing and then marketing. And so it's getting a niche that makes sense, that's different and interesting, and that's uncomfortably narrow. So that's the first thing. Second is being strategic, especially in the early days, being strategic about guests is quite unlikely in the early days for you to be able to measure or even get any ROI from the listener side for your company. But if you're bringing on, if you're doing a biweekly show and you run the show for a year, you're going to bring on 24 guests. If you bring on guests that could be partners or could potentially be customers, you can't pitch people, right? But if you're building 24 like good relationships, because you do build a great relationship when you bring someone onto your show, then you can start to show the CFO that you have built these four relationships. You've got two partners and made one sale for a customer. And so then the CFO is, this is great. Let's keep reinvesting. And then you'll grow the audience and then you can get the ROI from the listener side. The reason fame started is because I actually spent a year being head of marketing at a B2B SaaS company. We started a podcast, long story short, 13th guests with a VP of sales operations at a company that everyone knows, ended up chatting with our CEO and buying all of their software, all of our software for the 183 salespeople. So it's like a 10X ROI on the show because it's like 13th guests. And so obviously they're still investing in the show. And so they became the first client and they're still a client today. Number three then is it ties into number two, which is just be consistent for six months. It's much easier to be consistent if you're like getting business benefit from guest relationships. And then the whole like fame concept ties in with that as well, right? Because if you're picking your guests right, they're famous in the niche, then it's quite hard to measure, but your brand will become elevated. And so when your outbound people are like going to try and book demos, ideally someone, they send a cold email, they get a message back being like, yeah, I saw your podcast or I heard your podcast. That's like the dream. So I think those three things. I would agree. I want to get radically transparent about a topic that we might not be able to, <laughs> there may not be an answer to, but I think that's okay, right? Because when I first started Radically Transparent, one of the, the first things I did was try to understand how the hell I'm going to measure this. And I think that that might be a golden question that many of us marketers are asking ourselves, right? Like, how do you measure the success of a podcast? And I'm curious to understand, Tom, how, one, how are you measuring your podcast? And then two, in general, like it, it, with a concept of fame and just in general, how do we measure the success of this? I mean, what are we tying this to? Yeah, so I break it down into qualitative and quantitative. So early on, you in the first like three months, you want to see some qualitative feedback, either from guests or from listeners, that they're actually like enjoying the thing. That's mm -hmm. the first thing you want because it shows your content is actually resonating. And I wouldn't really be too concerned about all the other metrics until you have that. That's the first thing. Okay. And then <laughs> qualitatively, there's probably four things I would be measuring. 
the primary metric we set or goal we set for every client is downloads. And we want to see that growing by 10% every month if there's no paid spend to invest. And um, so total downloads is essentially the total consumption of your content. If your goal is for to actually help your listeners, then consumption e.g. downloads is the best goal for that. Next, we want to see followers, and we typically just track Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We want to see that increasing by like 5% a month. Now, I'm going to stop you there. Question. When you track, are you using a third-party tool to track that, or are you just hopping into each you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts mm. separately? Yeah, it's a good setup. We have a sister company called Bcast, which is podcast hosting software. This shows <laughs> downloads from, from every directory. It doesn't pull in follower data, though, and I don't know if that is possible. So yeah, we pick we log into Google, Spotify, Apple to get the followers. And then okay. we just, we basically have a, a tab in a Google sheet that we okay. pull, we just suck all this into. That's number two. Number three, we, and we're actually going to go to five now. Number three is rankings. And so I want to see, are we like breaking into the top 50, top 25, top 10 of the category we've chosen in our target geography? That's interesting to see. And like people in the business really like to see that typically, like the CEO likes to see you rank number three in the marketing category. So rankings and categories, but then also rankings for keywords. So you there's like keyword research, but for podcasts. So if your core keyword here might be like marketing or B2B marketing, you want to see that you're ranking top 10 for that term. So this is a good way to judge success, rankings for keywords and in categories. Then just two more. Number four is Apple Podcasts is the only directory that shows you how much of each episode everyone is listening to. So we like to take an average of all of those episodes to get like an average consumption for all episodes and we just want to see that go up slowly over time that shows your content you're getting slightly better with your hosting slightly better with your guests so we want to see that edge up slowly over time because retention is ultimately the foundation of growth and so it's going to be much easier to grow if you retain and then finally it's yeah looking at all your guests and understanding if you've built like a good relationship like two-way relationship with your guests over time so those are probably the five qualitative metrics but then before that you want to make sure people actually like your your show Listen, I think that's valid. I mean, right? Like, if nobody likes your show, what's the point? So thanks for sharing that with us and, and getting transparent about that. I want to go into the conversation around downloads and listens, but more, more into, right, once you have your show, how are you promoting it? What's the secret sauce, right? Because from what I know, social for us is a huge driver to get people to listen to our podcast. I've also learned that there's podcast people and then there's really not podcast people. So we've put this up on YouTube as well, right? For the non-podcasters out there. But how are you raising awareness? I mean, is it, are you doing paid? Are you doing organic? What tactics are you using to get your podcast out there into the podcast verse? <laughs> yeah. So I think there's like, we have six promotion pillars that we're probably not going to go into now. Most of the stuff there is like all the stuff you can read. If you Google like how to promote a podcast, any blog post is going to tell you to like pull out video snippets and post it on LinkedIn, get the guests to share, ensure you have like the right keywords in your name description. So I don't think we need to go into that. Like anyone could go get that from a blog post. I think there's two opportunities right now for like a relatively untapped. Yeah. And it's like seven years ago, you, you could get an Instagram influencer to like post your thing. Uh, you're like e-com thing for like $50, even if they had hundreds of other followers because they didn't know their value. And I think this is happening right now in podcasting. So if you search for best niche, whatever niche you're in, podcasts, they're typically on page one will be these blog posts where people have written blog posts to get traffic. They're typically just like bloggers that are in that niche trying to get traffic to sell ads or whatever. And so what you can do is quite easily go to all of them and like make deals to get your show included. So either you do a link exchange or you get them to come on your show as a guest in exchange for being featured, or you just pay them 
<laughs> and so this then, and you'll be you'll be very pleasantly surprised for the amount that you have to pay to get your get a link in there. And you can also get a backlink to your own domain through that as well if you to if you send them to the podcast page on your domain. And so that is a big opportunity. And I shouldn't really be sharing this because it's like our secret weapon. That's the first one. The second one, again, so leveraging guests is obviously massive, but what you can also do to like increase the chances you get like extensive guest sharing is when a guest books in, typically maybe they'll book in through Calendly, you'll put a question in there and I'll say, if we write a super engaging, interesting summary blog post of this episode, would you be prepared to post that on your domain? And they just say yes or no. If they say yes, you write that up, you insert the link to the podcast, insert the link to your own domain, they publish that, you get the backlinks, and it also will probably increase the amount of promotion they'll do for your show because typically if a blog post goes live on a business's domain, it goes through their normal like social promotion process. So like increases, A, you get the backlink, but B, it increases the likelihood that they'll share for you. So there's like all the basic stuff anyone can get from blog posts, but those two are like quite hot right now. Well, thank you for sharing that. We will all now go ahead and include that into our podcast strategy. Two more questions for you, Tom. My next question, a little bit of a curveball, but I'm curious to know what podcasts are you listening to or what books are you reading to get inspired you know, in your craft? Mm, yeah, good question. One book I'm reading right now is the best book on copywriting I've ever read. It's called The Adweek Copywriter's Handbook by Joseph Sugarman. That's like the absolute foundation. And why am I reading that? I think I've realized that in our business, like in a B2B service company, right, that's largely remote, that doesn't really meet people in person, writing is like so, so, so important. And so I'm reading that book. I'm probably going to get my whole team to read that book. And so anyone who's going to help you with LinkedIn posting, help you communicate with clients, help you communicate with your team. So I would highly recommend that anybody in the B2B world reads that book. Thank you. My last question, because like I said, you're quite a fascinating B2B marketer, professional, entrepreneur. And before this episode, I had done my due diligence. I went on your LinkedIn, like every podcast host does, to completely stalk their their upcoming guest. And I was curious to know, can you share something with us right now that we actually cannot learn about you from simply reading your LinkedIn profile? Yeah, I think I think maybe it's one of my biggest inspirations. Okay. is a four-year-old dog that me and my ex-girlfriend actually have that we co-parent now. She's called Bear. She's a toy oh. cavapoo. She's the best. Oh. And uh, the reason why she is a inspiration is, so famous like the brand, but then the actual business corporation is called Be More Bear Limited in the UK. And it's because she is, I don't know, she's just so like present and in the moment, right? And I think this is like one of the keys to happiness. And so this is like a little motto that we used to have is be more bear. And so I think you're like, I, I, that's not on my LinkedIn profile. Probably it's never going to be, but that's something that you can know about me. I love it. Be more bear. We will end the show there. If anybody's looking to learn more about fame, to speak to you about perhaps podcasting or any of the expertise that you shared on this show, where is the best place that somebody can reach you? I would just search for Tom Hunt in LinkedIn, or if you like BP podcasts, search for confessions of a beefy marketer in any podcast app and, and those are the two best places fantastic tom thank you for joining us today we look forward uh hopefully you know we've built a relationship good enough as you shared that you yeah. were, we're gonna be able to have you back but uh thank you for joining us today thanks jen